This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're joined by the podcast Diamond State Murder Board with co-hosts George and Andrew as we cover the state of Mississippi. They'll cover a case regarding a man that was tried six times for the same crime. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Magnolia State. On the morning of July 16, 1996, in Winona, Mississippi, an employee of Tardy Furniture entered the store and found four bodies that were fatally shot. The owner, Bertha Tardy, and three employees, Robert Golden, Carmen Rigby, and 16-year-old Derek Stewart. As investigators tried to piece together what happened and who had done it, they had very little evidence to go on. They had no DNA and no fingerprints to work with. All they had was a bloody shoe print and bullets, but no gun. Curtis Flowers would be put on trial for the murders six times with very weak circumstantial evidence. At the time, Curtis Flowers was a 26-year-old gospel singer with no criminal record who worked part-time at Tardy Furniture, but he was fired 13 days prior to the murders. He spent almost 23 years on death row, had 14 lawyers, 6 trials, and 6 successful appeals. The first three trials did end in convictions, but were overturned because of misconduct by the prosecution and discrimination against black jurors during jury selection. The fourth and fifth ended in hung juries, and the sixth trial ended in a conviction. In June 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court included Flowers' case. Among three capital cases, it remanded to lower courts for review for racial bias by the prosecution in jury selection. Curtis Flowers was granted bail in December of 2019, and on September 4, 2020, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch announced she would not seek a seventh trial and had dropped the charges against him. The state of Mississippi will pay Curtis Flowers $500,000 for his nearly 23 years of wrongful imprisonment. Since being released, Curtis has spent his time just trying to raise awareness about racial inequalities in the criminal justice system. He talks about one day starting a foundation to help incarcerated people who need legal assistance. Today, we're going to dive a little deeper into this case. Hi, everybody. Today, we're here chatting with George and Andrew from Diamond State Murder Board, and Ashley's here, too. I'm here. Here I am. (laughs) They're actually going to discuss a case about Curtis Flowers, and we're going to chat with them and interview them about the case. We don't know a whole lot about it, so it'll be interesting. And, of course, it will be in the state of Mississippi. What was it? Magnolia State. Magnolia State. The Magnolia State. We always like to say what the state's known for Mm -hmm. and try to take guesses. Try to guess, and we never We're usually pretty bad at it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I guess to start things off, what got you interested in Curtis Flowers? How did you come to know about this case even? I had never heard about it before. I had heard about the case. Um, You guys, I had written a lot about the West Memphis 3 case, which was a case of uh, with a false confession was involved. There was a lot of elements of the West Memphis three case that were, um, a lot of people were alarmed by the fact that these three guys were in prison based on what seemed to be very scant evidence. If you could even call it that 
And then I, I covered another case a few years later where a guy confessed to a murder and he spent eight months in jail. He was charged with first degree murder. He was charged with killing an 11 year old girl and he recanted the confession. He, he had some kind of like mental disability, yes. that low IQ, things like that. And he, um, the only thing that saved him from being convicted of this crime was they found a sperm cell on the girl's body that didn't belong to him. And so like false confession, you know, cases that are, um, they're kind of in my, like cases where there's some real doubt as to whether the person's guilty or not. Those are always on my radar. And so I heard about Curtis Flowers and I'm going to be totally honest with you. I knew about the case Mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting, not interesting, but it was the name of the furniture store where these four people were brutally murdered was Tardy Furniture. And the name just stuck in my head. I was actually going through a list of like true crime podcasts and I came across a podcast called In the Dark season two Mm -hmm. and they do the, they do a wonderful job by the way. I love that podcast. I hope they come out with another season real soon, but they, they uh, intimately detailed this case of Curtis flowers and what made it, what was, um, what was unique about this podcast is it can quite literally be said that their podcast may have directly led to him being released from prison after being in jail for 20 plus years. And yeah. And so um, I guess, you know, to start off with, I guess we'll kind of set up the, you know, what sure. happened. So it was July 16th, um, 1996. Hmm. Four people were found inside Tardy Furniture. Uh, it was a furniture store in Winona, Mississippi. And it was downtown, kind of like one of those storefront downtown stores. It was a, a iconic business in the community. I'm guessing a smallish town. Yes. In like rural Mississippi. Yes. Okay. And um, so somebody walked into the, it was middle of the day. I mean, this was like a, you know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. It was the middle of the day. Somebody walked in. The woman who owned, Miss Mrs. Tardy, who owned the furniture store, she had been shot and killed. Um, and three workers, including like, I think the kid was like 17. He was just like a, a delivery guy. You know, he was a high school kid, summer job. And they were all execution style murdered inside this furniture store. And so, of course, it creates a huge panic in Mississippi. I mean... Yeah. Very rare uh, quadruple homicide. And so they start looking at potential suspects. One suspect that they looked at was this Curtis Flowers guy. Curtis had worked there part-time. He had helped with some deliveries and had recently been fired or quit. It was kind of one of these things where he just stopped showing up. So they just assumed he wasn't coming back. And he was a very mild-mannered guy. No criminal history. Um... People liked him. He sang in the church. He sang at church. His family was big into the church. And um, he was, I, I think he would be fair to say, he was kind of an aloof guy. You know, like he would, he would go from house to house staying with girlfriends and friends. And he was just Maybe that. like kind of flaky on the job. So it wasn't like a, a disgruntled, they got in a fight and he got fired and it was something dirty, you yes. know, to where he would seek revenge. So that what, kind of thing. What made him a suspect then? What happened when he was working there, and there, some of these details are a little bit fuzzy, but what happened was is he went to deliver, I believe it was some batteries for like a, a lawnmower or something like that. Somebody come in and ordered them. And so he went to take the batteries or whatever it was to these people. Well, he didn't secure them in the back of the truck, and they fell out. And so Mrs. Tardy told him that he was going to have to pay for the batteries out of his paycheck. 
Now you're sitting here thinking, okay, this could be a significant amount of money. It was like it was $30. It was like $30. Wow. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Right. And and he was very like he he was the kind of guy that if you walked in and said, Hey, this isn't working out, you're not doing a very good job, he'd say, I understand, and just walk out. That's literally the kind of guy he was. So that's what started them down this path towards him was that he had worked there and two weeks prior had been they when they went to talk to him, like he they they found a shoe print from the murderer and his like his foot size was basically the same. Like in blood? Um, I don't know if it was found in blood. I know they found a shoe print. I don't know if it was in blood or not. And it was like, yeah, it fit. It was the what size shoe was it? It was like a ten and a half. So, so like a, a typical man, right? Size. Tip, yeah, right, Normal yeah. Man. And like me, I wear a ten and a half in some shoes, but in other shoes, I wear like an eleven, even up to an eleven and a half, depending upon the brand. Mm-hmm. So that can vary. Oh, and, be a label hoe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was it was a specific type of shoe too. It was like a Grant Hill Fila shoe, like they knew the pattern. Yeah. So anyway, they spent several months. Finally, they arrest him. And what they did in order to arrest him, he had an uncle who had uh, had a gun that had been stolen out of his car. It was the same caliber of gun that was used in the shootings. Ooh, not a good look. They never found the gun though. It was just the same caliber. But here's the thing about that. Some gun, a 22 is a very common caliber of gun. I don't think it, it wasn't a 22 in this case. It was like a nine or was it a nine? I can't. I don't know how many different calibers there are, but a few. Yeah, there's several. So it was like a nine millimeter? Yeah. Something like, like that. It was a handgun, okay. yeah. Typical also handgun right. for someone to have. Right. Very typical. I mean, most people who have a handgun, I mean, it's, you're gonna it's yeah. going to fall in those ranges. Sure. So his uncle had this gun that had vanished out of his car, which there was actually, I don't think there was any proof it was actually stolen. He just said it was gone. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, another part of it that didn't make any sense. Um, so they, they take him to trial. And when they do, so they cobble the uh, DA, a guy named Doug Evans. They cobble together. Yeah, nah, <laughs> no, no, not a fan at all. So they cobble together a case based on a couple of witnesses saying they saw um, Curtis walking along this route between where he lived and the furniture store, which was actually a little bit of a distance from where he lived. These witnesses said, oh, yeah, I saw him around 9, 10, you know, like leading up to, and then somebody testified that they actually saw him near the store that morning. So they they convinced the jury that he was killed with this gun, even though they never recovered it. Um, They convinced him. I think they found a shoe in his house that they thought was the shoe that made the print. But they never could prove that it was even his shoe. It was at his girlfriend's house, and she had a boy. Or I think she had a son who wore, who had that size shoe, and he wore that shoe. But they found the shoe in the house, so they so said he, no DNA. No, no, no DNA evidence. Okay, fingerprints. Yeah. No hair. So basically, no. they no. nothing. Nothing. Here say that a gun was stolen from his uncle. Some witnesses who are often wrong, and a shoe print that. Could or okay. from a shoe so that... So that's what they had. That's right. That's it, it. It, yeah, that's okay. the basic nuts and bolts of it. So he gets convicted and... Um, Question. Yes. Is he black or white? He's black. Question. Were they white or black? Um, they were or white. They were white. Yes. And this is Mississippi. Yes. Continue. Yes. Um, and so the Mississippi Supreme Court overturns his conviction. So then Doug Evans doesn't retry him once, not twice... Not three times, not four, not five. He retries this guy over the next uh, 16 to 18 years 
six times because every time he got convicted, it got thrown out by another court. So was there new evidence that came up and that's why it came? he retried him? Or? A lot of it was prosecutorial misconduct is why he, because Shocking. he, you know, and, and this is the thing. And, and Ash, you know this, um, you're very familiar with like, uh, the law, you know, you know, attorneys, how things the operate in the courtroom. Reach around. Yeah, yeah, she, she's she's <laughs> yeah. she's very familiar, yeah. um, and not from that she's ever done anything like that. But Correct. She's, no. she, yeah, she has a lot of friends. She has a lot of friends, and um, so it was. He would he would make arguments in court that just were beyond the scope of a prosecutor. Like it was innuendo, which you can't do in a courtroom. You have. Leading, making, yes. making the jury say, "Well, well yeah, it has to. It, could, it had to be this. Gu- how been, could how yeah. could it not been this gun? I mean, it it, is, it disappeared from his uncle. Who would have taken it? Yeah. And so, in the meantime, while all these many appeals are going on, and these you know these cases are being thrown out of court, he's still languishing in prison. So what happened in the second trial, now, a lot of the evidence, so to, so to speak, actually after the first trial wasn't used as much in the subsequent trials because they came up with a guy who said that Curtis confessed to him in prison. Gotta love a jailhouse informant. Yes. So, and here's what's weird. This guy said that Curtis, he made multiple statements. One time he told them, told the police Oh, he never, he didn't confess to me. He didn't do it. He had nothing to do with it, blah, blah, blah. But then, and he was going to testify for the defense at one point. He was going to be a defense witness. Well, then they flipped him and he said, oh yeah, he he did confess. And the guy who he confessed to was a guy named Odell Hallman. Odell was very well known in Winona and the surrounding um, counties and towns because he was kind of a pathological criminal. And so, and he was known to tell stories and all this. So he testifies, and he testifies very well. Like he, under the intense scrutiny of of cross examination, he performs very well in the courtroom. Everybody that was there agrees that he did well, and his story was very consistent. And so, but and he kept telling it. You know, second trial, third trial, fourth trial. He keeps doing this. Well, what's interesting about Odell Holman as he's testifying in all these trials, Doug Evans is the prosecutor. Well, Odell keeps getting in trouble for heinous stuff. He, in one incident, he ran a police officer over with a car trying to escape, and they don't, they never press charges against him. Wow. Because he was set to testify against Curtis in one of so his he trials. He was getting something out of this. Big yes, time. yes. Okay. There was never, there was never, quote unquote, a deal cut. But the fact that he would never press charges right. on all this other stuff, and yeah. even and in that in that podcast um, in the dark, I, I believe they brought on the officer who got ran over, and they asked him, "Like, were you shocked that they didn't press charges?" And he's like, "I couldn't believe it. The guy was trying to kill me to get away." And so finally, they let Odell out again. For now, he did. Now he did go to jail for some stuff. I'm not saying sure. you know, yeah. he did go to jail. Well, finally, he got out again. Well, he got mad at his ex girlfriend. And um, he went to her house, shot and killed her, killed like, I don't know, two, three. He killed several people and then just turned himself in. And so this was the irony. So he, he and he pled to a deal within a week of killing or two weeks within. I mean, they had barely had the funerals and he had already pled to a deal. The irony is he was being held in the same prison as Curtis Flowers, only he, um, Curtis was in basically solitary confinement because he's on death row. Right. This guy was in general population. 
Well, in the podcast, In the Dark, they actually start messaging him on Facebook because he had a contraband cell phone in the prison. And so he's communicating with them. And they actually get him on the, you know, like you can call somebody through Facebook. Mm -hmm. They call him and you can hear all around him. He's like telling people to shut up because I'm making a deal here, blah, blah, blah. Because he was running a business in the prison. That'd be me in prison with my cell phone. It actually would be you. I mean, like literally he'd say, hey, shut up. I'm on the phone with somebody. And so they ask him the question. Did Curtis Flowers confess to you? And he laughed and said, absolutely not. He said, that was a, he said, that was a deal that me and Doug came up with. And he says it multiple times. So he's, con- he's admitting on there that he d- that had nothing to do with that. He told the story to get a better deal. So, but meanwhile, this is coming out. They, he, Curtis is still in prison. And he even, <laughs> it's so. It, and this guy's killed, Odell's killed how many people? I think Two or three. I know he killed his... I know for sure. He he tried to kill his own son. Like, he thought he killed him. He thought he was dead. And the son actually was hiding in a closet. He shot into the closet. And the, the son came out. And that's how they figured out very quickly that it was him. So, this thing is meandering through the court system. And, Kurt, you know, and it, it, it's really sad listening to Curtis's parents. They're older. And eventually his mother passes away in 2018 when he's still in prison. And a lot of it, you hear a lot about them going to the prison and talking to him and he's overweight. And again, I can't get this out of my head. They're in the same prison and Curtis is being treated one way when there's no evidence he did any of this. And this other guy is running a business. Yeah. Yeah. A known murderer. Yeah. (laughs) Ran over a police officer. That's... Mm -mm. Well, uh, this is the, the interesting part to me. Um, especially since we're sitting here on a true crime podcast right now. So In the Dark starts diving into this case. And when they do, they uncover there was actually a second suspect. So, okay, the the route from Curtis's house to the furniture store was tedious. Like, it was like, you know, he would have to be seen by a lot of people. Well, you remember when we talked about a few minutes ago where there was a bunch of people who saw him on this route? Mm -hmm. Every single one of them recanted their story. They said they lied. They said that the, that Doug Evans coerced them. And here's the thing. Those statements about him being along this route, they were taken months and months and months after the murders. So you're asking... Why would you be asking people that long after? It's almost as if you're, you have a destination, like you want it to be Curtis Flowers, and so you're pigeonholing everything towards that. So all of these witnesses come out and say... I had nothing to do with it. You know, I didn't see him that morning, blah, blah, blah. So what they did in their podcast is they're like, okay, well, if he didn't do it, who could have done it? Well, there was a guy, very violent criminal. And there was money stolen, by the way, when, when the murder, the murders took place, they took money out of the teal, Mm -hmm. whoever did it. So, uh, they trace a route from this guy's house who lives not far from the, the furniture store. This guy is got all sorts of, uh, criminal background. I mean, it, Criminal background galore. When they go along this route, they actually um, come across a house with a hole in the foundation. When they look inside that hole, or somebody did, they found a rusted out gun. So it's almost as if the the person who murdered them left the store along this other route leading to this other house. And it was like they just stuffed the gun in there and it had stayed there the whole time. Now you can't, at this point it was too degraded to prove if it was involved, but even that, 
the fact that it was on this route and they confront this guy. He's up in like uh, Indiana or somewhere. They find him in a courtroom because he's been convicted. He's in court for something else. And this guy never denies he did it. He just goes ballistic. Like he goes crazy on him. And so um, anyway, so this case meandered pretty much all the evidence and it was disproved. I don't want to say shocking, but surprising. So it ends up before the U.S. Supreme Court. They take less than 1% of all cases that come before them. It goes before the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's a 7-2 to vote to remand it back to court, to remand it back to the circuit court. So they vacated the conviction again, and the person who wrote the deciding opinion in it was Brett Kavanaugh. And that was a shock. Yeah. I was listening to In the Dark to catch up on some stuff, and that surprised me when I— heard who it was and um i can't think of the term it starts with the b the lawyers are going to be screaming but doug evans the first time they had the first trial it was all white jurors all of them. yes okay so what happens in the jury selection process is you get to strike jurors you get so many strikes yes and so what doug evans would do and it was systematic and this podcast yes. proved this because there wasn't a lot of research done he systematically would strike black jurors from, and a lot of the times it would get overturned because of this. This podcast actually went in and did the analysis. Like they went through every juror that had ever come before them. And it was, it was very over, it was very overwhelming and complete that this guy was systematically, and it wasn't just in Curtis's case. They found that he was doing this in a lot of cases. And so that was the reason that the justification was used to bring it before the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And was that all these jurors were being struck. Batson, that's... Batson, yes. What, I think that's what I was... But, yeah, it was. they kind of got in depth with talking about how you're allowed as a prosecutor or the uh, defense to strike people if they know about the case, if they're They've involved, been if they're convicted of anything, yeah. And they found one instance of uh, a... So a black guy got nixed because he kind he knew... One of the witnesses. Yes. But there was a white guy that got approved and served when it was... Do you remember how what his connection to Yeah, was? He, he was very intimately connected intimately. to the case. Yes, he and was like... I, th- I think it might have been like he his, maybe his wife was related to someone, like related to a prosecutor or a police very, officer. It was a no, very... He should not have been on yes. the jury. That was an actual thing he should not... But he was, of course, on there where other people were being struck for lesser reasons, but he, Doug Evans, got in trouble, or I guess the judge... But the defense gets to choose. You get each each side gets... Yes. Yeah, that you get a set number of strikes, but the thing about it is, though... So the defense could have known this, too. They didn't keep this from the defense when they were doing jury selection. Like, everybody gets to talk to the same jurors. Right, but here's the thing, which you would never be able to tell, because he did have different attorneys, you'd never be able to tell there was a pattern of it. Because right. a, a couple of his jury now, a couple of his juries did have one or two black people on the juries, and the thing about it is, they went through and it was it was interesting because some of the black jurors that ended up on these juries did vote to convict him. Mm-hmm. Not one single white juror in all of these trials voted to exonerate. They all universally voted to convict him. So um, in the legal system, you know, we have a problem where black people vote less. The, ergo, they are on juries less. So it's not as representative right. as it should be from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting a representative cache of uh, jurors to begin with. And there's an inherent bias for sure. And I tell people this all the time. And I know I told you guys this the last time we spoke in a courtroom. This is the, this is the, this is the pecking order. Judge, 
That's who the jury listens to. Prosecutor, defense attorney. Right. So automatically, the defendant is at a two-thirds disadvantage, depending upon how the judge makes rulings. And the judges in this case ruled straight time. The judges in this case ruled straight time, basically in favor of the prosecutor. So he had no chance. I mean, the case brought again, and I say this sometimes, people got to remember this. There are some cases where the person is guilty of the crime. You can't prove it. There's not evidence. There's Anthony. Yes. I'm just saying. Yes. Just speculating, but, you know. Well, it's not necessarily that you have to prove that they did it. It's beyond a reasonable, beyond a reasonable doubt. doubt that somebody else didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And see, that's the thing is that in order for our system to work properly, right. some guilty people will never go to prison exactly because right. it cannot be proven under our laws. Right. So, uh, you know, a great case of that is uh, people ask me all the time about Stephen Avery and that, you know, oh, the guy yeah. from Making a Murderer. Oh. I get asked about that all the time. And I'm like, the police planted evidence. Oh, it's clear. Explode. It's clear they planted. <laughs> but I think he probably killed her. I don't think I don't think that Brendan Dassey, the nephew, yeah. I don't think he was involved. And it's so ironic in that case because of the two, the only one that has any chance of getting out of prison is actually Stephen Avery That's now. That's right. Just, That's yes. disgusting. Ugh. So in, in that case, I've told people, I said, if I was a juror, I would believe he did it. But if the police planted evidence, you can't convict exactly. them. Exactly. And we all know the police planted evidence. Yes. I have actually written about several cases where officers have planted evidence in the past and got caught. And they ruined the fits. entire thing. Yep. And it's just, and that... Yeah, it makes it to where you can't get justice sometimes because if they're doing that, I couldn't in good conscience. Don't look at me. In I good have. conscience, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't in good conscience as a juror vote in favor or. Have you ever been on a juror jury? No, but I want to be. But I'm saying yeah. like certain there are certain cases where I can look at it and say yes, they absolutely had to have done it. But if I were on the jury, mishandling by At least he'd be that one person that held out everybody straight three extra weeks because she couldn't decide. But but you know, it's serious. And if someone's life is on the line, I just feel like a lot of these juries, it's just a couple of hours. They're tired. They're ready. It's it's like they pick people too that that they know, okay, they are tired. We don't want to be here anymore. They're right. The prosecutor's showed me that yeah, he right. is I unfortunately a race or a, yeah. you know. And I know they're tired and they do a lot of work, but it's. You know what? I, I've said this. You, this is the last thing you want. in if you go to court, you're, you're charged with a crime. The last thing you want deciding whether you committed that crime or not is a jury of your peers. I it is agree. the last thing because listen, guys who are plumbers, people who are teachers, or own businesses, do whatever they do, writers, podcasters, whoever, they're great at what they do. They're really bad most times at understanding evidence. And they always give it's I talk to jurors a lot after trials. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I will go up to them and be like, so what made you guys in the jury room decide to do this? And they almost universally will give weight to evidence that is very minimal and they will give no credence to way, to evidence that should be very much considered. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not even evidence. It's the absence of evidence, mm-hmm. which is a concept that a lot of people have a hard time understanding. And so I've, I've advocated forever. Professional jurors, we need them because they need – you need people who intimately – That's a good idea. Well, yeah. I mean, think, of, think about this. The most important thing in the world the, – the most heinous thing in the world the government can do you is to put you in prison for the rest of your life or put you on death row. It's the most heinous thing in our society that we do to each other, uh, systematically. Mm-hmm. And we put it in the hands of lay people. 
I mean, if you needed heart surgery, are you going to call a, a you know a mechanic? I mean, because that's what you're doing. No, no. And and to know that the attorneys can kind of not cherry pick them, but kind of. That's no, kind of what they, it is. They, it's not even kind of. They cherry yeah. pick them. It's. I mean, when you when you hear when you're in Vordire, when they're in there interviewing these um, these potential jurors. The questions they ask, you can always tell where a prosecutor and a defense attorney are going by the questions they ask. And, you know, they want to know things like, you know, you guys are both, um, you know, young women, you know, Ashley, you have, you have a child. Okay. So, like, if, you know, and depending upon the case, um, you know, they, they, you might be a, a much better juror for the prosecutor than you because you have a kid. Or you might be better because you don't have a kid. Right. So they're always trying to figure out. And here's the thing. You know it works that way because in this case, he was convicted six times on no evidence. What really... Bunch of bitches. <laughs> what really infuriates me about this is Doug Evans. It's not like he's ever looking for anything new. He's Right. It, he's... Keeps going back to the same case over and over and over six times. He's not looking for any new evidence, any new information. He just wants to do the same case over and over. And does he just want to win? It like, is seems that his insane. Old... It seems insane. That's all prosecutors want to do. They just want to win because like, they he's... just want. They have to. They just want to prove their case. It's okay. not about it's justice. Not about justice. It's, it's about, about winning. winning. Gotcha. And yeah. another thing he did when he was interviewing jurors is he would ask, they did, they, they know all about the numbers on the podcast, but he would ask the black jurors double the amount of questions. Cause you know, when you're, you People can be color. On twice the amount of questions because you know, they ask you questions. Do you know anyone on this jury? Do right, you know right, someone? Right. And they'll get into more specifics, but they ask double the amount of questions. Right. To them. Try and to find something the more to you, strike them. The more questions yes. you ask a person, the more you're going to find and the quicker you're going to be like, you can't be on this. And Sorry. It, yeah. And Lacey, it go, it's, it's even a step deeper than that. Let's say they say something and you're like, okay, I want to get rid of this juror. You keep them talking, yes, exactly. Because, so that so that when they so that if it ever comes up later on down the road, oh, we struck this guy because he's black. It's like, oh no, it may be something in what he said that could be a legitimate reason. Well, maybe they haven't given you a legitimate reason, so you just keep them talking until they do. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, exactly what he was doing. He was just oh, everything he did just really infuriated me. But I mean, I don't usually listen to podcasts twice. And I listened to this one twice. Mm-hmm. I was so because I would and there's many details of this case. And if anybody wants to, it's a very long, lengthy podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like 12, 13 episodes, but it's great. There's a lot of details. I we we're just you know kind of skipping sure, over. They're all in with every, yeah it's yeah it, episodes. It literally might be. And I covered West Memphis three. I wrote a hundred news stories about that case. I wrote a book about it. I have talked about it fifty times um, through the years. Different media publications and whatnot. And I actually think that this case might even be worse. Wow. Okay. Quick question is why was this never double jeopardy? Okay. So what, how it works is, okay. If you're convicted of a crime. Okay. And then, and then let's say that the conviction gets overturned. Then you go back to square one, as far as the, the double jeopardy rule, meaning you can be charged again if the prosecutor chooses to, which of course Doug Evans chose to six times. And so that's that starts the clock over. So theoretically, he could have been charged a seventh time, and Doug Evans was going to charge him again. But then eventually, he was he was. This is this is the 
some of the crazy quirks in our system that because most people never deal with the judicial system and when they do they're not dealing with it in terms of a murder so the prosecutor has a lot of power that's unchecked in most states like a prosecutor can decide you know like the four of us are sitting here and let's say andrew pulls out a gun and blows both of you away and i go to the i go to the police officer and I, I go to the police and I say, hey, Andrew killed him. Andrew goes in there and confesses. Okay, so the police charge him. They put up the, they write out the probable cause. They send it to the prosecutor. If he says no, it doesn't, it, there's no charges filed. And he can. Wow. Yeah, he can. That is too much power for one person. Right. And a lot of times in these appeal hearings, mm. like, okay, so you, it would make sense for anybody. Okay, if, let's say a judge made erroneous decisions that led to a conviction. That's an argument you can make. Okay, well, in some states, including Arkansas, the same trial judge gets to oversee the hearing that determines whether he was competent or not as a judge. Yes. Because in the West Memphis 3 case, Judge Burnett, for years and years and years, oversaw all the Rule 37 hearings for Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miskelly. So he was up there judging whether he did a good job. So how, do you, how do you think that turned out? What? But at what point do they go before the Judiciary Discipline Committee? Because they, there's a big panel that they have to go before that get to decide that. So he didn't have to. He got to decide if he did it. He didn't have to go before the Judiciary. Yeah. To go before, okay, to go before like a, a the, the Discipline Committee. If there has been, if it has been raised that there could be misconduct. Yes. Then he has to go before them. Doesn't have to. Someone has to file a complaint. Exactly. So and the person and the person who files a complaint typically, um, I'll just say this right now. I'm, I'm not intimately aware of that process. I can say this. I've only ever in my entire career, and I've covered a lot of crimes. I've only, I believe, I've only ever written about one judge who ever on an ethics violation lost his judge, and and this oh. is all that happened to him. They told him to retire. <laughs> They didn't even do anything didn't to strip him. him no, and he was like seventy already. I mean, Ugh. and it, he was he was committing egregious crimes against people in the courtroom. And they it got to a point where even that even the people you know this happened in a county up in northern Arkansas, but even in Little Rock, they're like, hey, you're going to have to go. I mean, you can't keep doing this. So um, they, if they're not going to self police themselves, I mean, because yeah. that's a mess. So who said he did something wrong for him to oversee? Because what you just said, you just said that like he had to oversee if someone he, filed a complaint with the ethics commission. So then it goes before the judici- judicial. It can, yes, yes. There's what do you mean it can? there's a there's a number of of levers that can. I mean, theoretically, if you are making um, unconscionable decisions in a courtroom that are impacting people's lives, that can be construed as a crime. So, yes. but again, uh, how many times have you ever heard of a judge getting charged with a crime? It never happens. It's there, but it's never used because people don't. And again, going back to the professional jury system, people don't understand how the judicial system works. Mm-hmm. It's not about justice once they get into the justice system. It is about who tells the best story. Exactly. And here's the thing. Okay. Most people like, okay, you get charged with, you, Curtis Flowers gets charged with murder. All the advantage in the system up until he's convicted, lies with the defense. Because, you know, the defense, they have discovery. They get to know everything the prosecutor has against them. Once you get convicted, all the advantage goes to the state. And when the advantage goes to the state, there is, you almost, there's, it's almost certain if you're convicted of murder, you will never get out of prison. My biggest fear is to be framed for 
a crime. But the <laughs> def- terrifying. Really. But yes. the defense and the prosecution both have access to that. They do. Yes. Even if it's in state custody, they still right. have access to it. Yes. Yes. And as long as appeals are going on, they have to keep that evidence in evidence. So they Correct. can't just get rid of it. Um, you know, like we talked about the Rebecca. A Bull- lot of times it just disappears, though, in some yeah. of these cases, which is more often than you would not. think. <laughs> it's just, pretty wild. Just, oh, I don't know what happened to it. It's just gone. It got lost. Well, yeah, like in the West Memphis 3 case where they found blood in a bathroom. Um, Bojangles. Yeah, half a mile from, you know, where these mm-hmm. boys' bodies were dumped. And the police didn't bother to go get the blood. Well, they clean up the whole bathroom, come back the next day, and still found some blood flakes that were left. And then they lost those. Mm-hmm. And this guy stumbled into the Bojangles restaurant at 9 o'clock that night, right around the time of the murders, covered in blood. He was bleeding all over the place, jamming stuff into a toilet, trying to flush evidence away. And he defecated on the floor in front of a woman and her kid. Yeah, they walked into the, And he was in the women's restroom. And this guy was you jamming. You got to go. You got to go. He's he, like, honey, I don't care. I'll tell you how bad he bled. <laughs> he bled through. Yeah, and, and, and I, you know, I, 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 it was a, it was a black gentleman. He bled through a, um, a, a toilet, like an industrial toilet paper roll down to the, you know, I have that, that yeah. cardboard core. Mm-hmm. He bled all the way through to that. So there was blood everywhere. And here's the thing about that case. So at the crime scene, they found the best piece of evidence in the entire West Memphis three case was one hair that they found that belonged to a black man. They assumed that it was just maybe like. You know, there's a lot of people down there, coroner, police officers. There was a lot of people down there getting the bodies out. So they thought, okay, this is just an indiscriminate hair. But you have a guy in a bathroom half a mile away bleeding all over the place. And then you've got a hair at the crime scene. And you lost the evidence. Maddening. Judicial reach around. That's a good term. Judicial reach around. I've already TM'd it. Andrew, write that down. We're going to start using that. Find our stickers on Etsy. Already already TM, TM. That case is just a whole nother thing, but the fact that, I mean, something was going on, even if he wasn't involved in the West Memphis Three, he was bloody. Yes. Cops needed to be involved with something. I mm-hmm. mean, it's West Memphis. Lacey, here's the, this is how astonishing it is. The same officer who was called about two boys being missing, because there wasn't three. At the time, there were three boys missing, but of course, stepdad for uh, Stevie didn't bother to call the police and tell him until nine o'clock that night or nine thirty. Um, the same officer responded to both calls because she was so close. Wow. Yeah. She went through the drive-thru. Yeah. She had two boys missing and then she gets another call. Hey, there's a bloody guy up here at the Bojangles restaurant. So she goes through the drive-thru, talks to the manager and says, okay, I'll take a report and drives off. And doesn't go inside. No. Oh, What does it take to become a part-time investigator? <laughs> I'll freelance much. investigate. See, that's no. the, that's the, one of the problems with yes. police work is they just don't make enough yes. money. That is um, problem. I mean, I, I know I've got friends who are detectives who are really good at what they do and they, they care a lot, but a lot of times, especially smaller departments, they, they just don't have the money and you know, uh, I, I, they need to pay them better than need to train them better. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. And what's ironic is we're in, we've been in an age now for a couple of, you know, um, I don't know what it is, a couple, you know, years now where DNA, forensics, mm-hmm. the ways of collecting evidence are so much better. Oh, yeah. The analysis is so much better. So um, it would make sense that we'd probably train these guys a little better to go along with it. Yeah, I would think so. 
So was Curtis Flowers exonerated or what exactly do you call it that got him off the hook, I guess? Okay, so the case was remanded back to circuit court, meaning that the prosecutor had the option of refiling the charge. Well, they finally got a special prosecutor involved in the case. I actually think it was the Mississippi uh, Attorney General's office. And they decided not to recharge him. They, they, they publicly said, we are not going to charge him with this crime again. And here's the thing. Let's say, back to our premise, that sometimes a guy can, or, or a woman can commit a crime that they didn't have anything to do with, or that they did, mm-hmm. but there's no evidence. Even in this case, the guy has spent more than 20 years in prison. So there has been, even if you think he's guilty, there has been some level of justice meted but if he were to be, if he goes to trial a seventh, what kind of a system do we have where somebody gets charged with the same crime seven times? Mm-mm. That's insane. That shows, I mean, that after, I don't know what the limit would be, but it shows something is very, very wrong that someone was charged six times. Yes. yes. That's, that should never be okay. Yes, I totally agree. I mean... I could see if maybe something new was shed on something, but it, he was just bringing up the same case every single time. And it it's just maddening is the only word I can think of because it's not like he's presenting another side, more evidence right. to convict Curtis Flowers. It's just... And here's another thing. that Okay, so some of the evidence changed through the years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe gun, maybe not. Well, let's say in one trial, let's say the shoe print... They tried to use it, but then in the next trial, by the next trial, they know that shoe print is bogus. They know that's totally bogus. There's no way. You know what the jury never gets to hear? That the shoe print was bogus in the last trial because it all starts over from square one. And you know who makes the decision whether that shoe print can be heard or not? The judge. And they have a hearing. They'll have a hearing and the judge will decide. Now, I don't know in this case that that... Necessary. I'm sure it did. I mean, I would if I had to bet money right now, any amount of money that mattered to me, I would say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure there were evidence that was disproved in other trials that wasn't even brought up in the next one. The defense and the defense couldn't bring it up because remember, it's just doubt. Like, wait a minute, they said it was a shoe at the other trial, but now it's not. Well, what else are they screwing up? So it was confirmed that it wasn't a shoe print later on. No, I'm, I was using it as an oh, example. See. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I was just just an example. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm like, attention. <laughs> no, I'm like, wait, what? That's huge. But, wow. So when was this? How recent? September um, of 2020 is when they wow. concluded yeah. that, that they could not have any more um, trials on this. And they said due to lack of evidence. And then also the fact that because it's happened, it was over, you know, so many years, most of the witnesses that they would call had since passed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's the only thing that saved him. Is that all that these people actually passed away? Couldn't testify. So is he still in prison? No, he's out. He's no. totally. He had an ankle brace for a while while they were still deciding. Kinda like Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, yeah kind of like Lindsay Lohan. Um, but he actually got to take that brace off himself. I mean, they said you're. you're it's deactivated. Take it off. I know that the uh, Innocence Project worked with mm-hmm. him. Yes. As well, which we're big fans of them. Oh, Steve Drizzen, um, the guy that was in Making a Murderer, that mm-hmm. attorney. Um, he actually worked on the West Memphis 3 case a little bit, too. Wow. Yeah. A, a nice guy. Is there anything else that you, 
I mean, I'm like, well, I've got to listen to this case now because I haven't didn't know anything about it. Now I want to know all the... It's intoxicating. You I just mean, listened to it by George Jared? No shit. <laughs> he just gave us the three by five. I need the whole thing. No, the, in the dark, it's they do a lot of interviews with people and that kind of thing. And another thing I thought was wild was that they couldn't... Legally, you should be allowed to talk to journalists on the phone if you're in prison. And he was not allowed to. Yes, they, they never interviewed him while he was in prison. I mean, even I got to interview Damien Eccles when he was on death row. I know. I mean, it still happened. Yeah. Yeah, they would not allow it. And so Mississippi has a certain law in place where you're allowed to do that. I can't remember what it's called. I don't know the law jargon, but he should have been allowed. And why wasn't he? Do you know why? It's just, it's an administrative decision because they, you know, oh. like the they the warden and the people who control the prison, they have to make decisions based on safety. And that's what they'll tell you. They'll say, well, we couldn't let him talk because it was a safety thing or whatever. And what it is, is they don't want his, they don't want that story getting sure. out. Oh, yeah. They didn't want him to be able to tell a side of the story while he was locked mm. away. It's The whole case is, I'm glad he got out. Yes. But after serving 20 years. Yes. This is... This is not very relevant, but have you seen the show Rectify? Either? I haven't. No, I haven't. But it's a guy that it's kind of like a Southern Gothic drama. It's on it's on Netflix. Uh, but he was in prison, and you can make the decision on was he convict was he guilty or not. But it kind of shows the struggle of someone who was in prison for a super long time in their life when they get out, and how it's it sucks. Yeah. No pretty way to put it. But can you imagine being innocent and getting out? And your life, it's just like cell phones. What are cell phones? If You know, unless you're Ashley and have a secret stash. But everything is contraband. How do you live? How do you be an adult? Just so many things. And it almost kind of sets people up for failure. Anybody you cared about is probably dead or if oh, not dead in a state that you would not want to know them, sadly. Yeah. It's a good show because it kind of makes you think about the after, after someone's released and... It's a, a, it's a, it's sad. It does not sound like I want to pop a bag of popcorn it is, and watch this it is on Friday very, night. It's sad, but it is a very good show. It's a very good show. But it, it makes you think about that, you know? Mm-hmm. The other side of the coin, some of these guys didn't do it. And Yeah. I mean, the FBI statistic, I, I've told you guys yeah. before, it's what, 12, 13% of people convicted of a crime didn't do it. It's terrifying. So that means if we have 30 people on death row, that means three of them. Yeah. Or three and a, almost four of them. Didn't commit that crime yeah. that oh. they were convicted of. It's tough to think about. So, do we know where he is now? Like, how, how I think he's going? just living with his dad in Mississippi. I think I, I read a story um, that he goes to church and sings with his dad. He was actually very good. Like, yeah, I heard a clip of him singing. Yeah, in one of the episodes. yeah, he was a good. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he was. That, that, that was a thing for their family. You know, church mm-hmm. and singing and all that kind of stuff. Wow. What became of the furniture store? Just out of curiosity. You know, I'm not sure about that. I always wonder about the places. This, you know. Yeah, no, it's, That's a, it's a great a, question. It's a legit question. question. I mean, because when somebody does, you know, get yeah, murdered yeah. somewhere, I mean, what happens to that place? I mean, in the Rebecca Gould murder case, uh, apparently you just go back and live in the house after your yeah. sort of ex girlfriend's been murdered in there, but so that's neither here nor there. Oh, wow. Is there anything that we haven't talked about on this you'd like to touch base about? I think we're I think we're good. I mean, the only thing I would add is that if you have more interest in the case, check out. I always love to promote other podcasts because mm-hmm. um, you know what's yeah, especially ones that dive into a what's it called where they just talk about one case. Yeah, a season. deep dive. Yeah. yeah, 
Because yeah. we don't really do that. We don't have the resources or time, but we yes. love listening to those. And it's wonderful chance. journalism. Yes, it is. It really is. It I mean, they spent, job. I don't know if you uh, are They familiar. moved to Mississippi uh, they to did. work on it. They, they spent weeks in like an old, like it was an old sheriff. I think it was an old sheriff's department or something that was run down, like water was coming through the roof and they had, or it was an old courthouse. They had stacks of documents that went up to the ceiling from like a hundred years ago. Ugh, they also probably got black lungs. Yeah, no, it was, they described it and it was, it was pretty rough. But here's the thing though. Part of them, part of this process was them finding documents to track down these other guys who may have been complicit in the murder. Because here's the thing. Um, we can talk all day long. We can have a conversation about, hey, there's, you don't have to prove motive in a, in a murder case. Here's the thing I know about a jury. If you don't have a viable motive, they won't believe you. They won't believe it. So just because you don't have to have it, basically you do have to have it. Right. And so, um, but these these people, I mean, they spent, I can't, days and weeks. I mean, they tracked down one witness. They spent six months trying to track one witness. Wow. So the main mo- motive from what Doug Evans was saying the whole time was robbery or just that he was upset? He was mad that he lost fired. his part-time delivery okay. job. I mean... It's ludicrous. Oh, wow. Yeah, this case is maddening. Yes. But I'm very glad he's out. That's for sure. So you can delete this right here later. But someone files a complaint against a judge. It's Mm -hmm. reviewed by commission personnel. Most are eliminated based on the fact that they are not a true basis for discipline. It would then move to a committee for review. If the committee recommends a finding and some type of punishment that the that is communicated to the judge. The judge can then ask for a full committee. They have a hearing and they make the final determination. That can be appealed to the circuit court, but I think here in Arkansas, it's to the Supreme Court. I haven't really had that happen. So, if he wouldn't go before himself, if a charge was filed against him, he would have to go before this committee and he could appeal it to... The Supreme Court, right? And there, and, yes. uh, and there is actually a very good reason why it should be hard to discipline a judge or remove a judge, because that would be everybody's go-to move when they get convicted of a, of a crime, right? You know, that yeah, would be their goes go-to for a committee. Yeah. So much for coming down here and talking to us about Curtis Flowers. Definitely an interesting case. But yeah. Now I'm gonna have to like. Yeah. No, it's worth a deep dive. Dive down for and- sure, and you could spend a lot of time. It's a case that's right up your alley. It kind of reminds me of a little bit of uh, Purpose Pain stuff, you know. Also involved in the Innocence Project, which we really love a lot. Mm -hmm. So, should we ask them any true crimey stuff? Any true crime wrecks for podcasts, docs, shows? I love Criminal. That's probably my favorite true crime podcast. That's a good one. I think you listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Phoebe Judge, right? Yes. I don't listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, so I like to recommend Diamond State Murder Board and the United States of Murder. <laughs> you like to keep it light. Well, what's a non? Doesn't have to be. What's your your go to? Lately, um, <laughs> if they, these guys need no um, recommendations or anything, but there's a podcast out called Smartless, and it's hosted by um, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. Sold. And really? they get How they heard of this? they bring a different famous person on whether it be celebrity or political figure or religious leader and each week one of them gets to pick the guest and the other two have no idea so they have no questions prepared 
And then they get to talk to the guests. And what's cool is um, this past week, for example, was George Clooney. But three weeks ago is Kamala Harris. So it's oh, wow. it's a little bit of everything that, and everybody. Uh-huh. And Robert Downey Jr. was one of their big uh-huh. guests recently. They've had Conan O'Brien and Jimmy Kimmel in a two-week span. And it's really interesting because they don't talk about their fame. They talk about, you know... You know, bottled up demons and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But it it's almost self-help for them. And it makes me feel like self-help for myself where I get to, you know, really think about people who make way more money than I ever will and are way more famous than I ever want. I've done what I feel like a lot more than I have, but facing the same things that I face. It's, sure. it's like self-help. And it's really funny, and it's it's down to earth celebrities oh. talking to you. What's the name of it again? Smartless. Smartless. I'm making a list. Smartlist. Less like smartless, like they're Whoa. saying like smartless, like they're stupid. Scratch they they, they try out. to talk. <laughs> so it's less. Jason Bateman and who else? Will Arnett, who are both famous for Arrested Development, and then Love Sean Hayes Arnett. from Will and Grace, and oh, obviously yeah. other things. So good. I yeah, know. So they, I'm, I'm watching Bojack Horseman. I know. Oh, behind, yeah. But I'm watching that right now. Absolutely. It's taken some time to grow on me, but I love it now. With you know. And it's it's funny because they rip on each other, and they really all are self deprecating. And it's yeah. so funny to hear people be self deprecating, and then their friends who should be uplifting them telling them that no, they're right. They are that terrible. <laughs> and then getting us another guest to talk to them. Um, there's a great one with uh, Paul McCartney or Sir mm-hmm. Paul McCartney, I guess now. Wow. So it's it's. it's Kind of all over the yeah, sir. so definitely it's all over the place, and it's it is interesting that you can see one is more of a celebrity person, one is more of a religious person, and one is more of a government and political person. Sure. And so, getting to hear them interact with huh. those people um, is really cool. And again, like I said, it's 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 something that help, I would used to do podcasts to pass the time, but I think it really is me going to a therapist to a degree, listening no, to other people that. talk. Um, Another one I want to plug that needs no plugging is I just listened. I don't listen to podcasts like he said more than once or twice. But there's a armchair expert with Dax Shepard interviewed Tom Brady. I've, I've listened to it three times. Tom Brady. I don't care what you think about the guy as a football player. The man knows how to how to preserve his body, his family. Yeah, he's aging backwards. Yeah, I know it's Benjamin Button, but yeah, it's very. Um, just <laughs> made me rethink everything I ate. Like made me rethink. You know, oh, yeah. he's honestly the reason I started intermittent fasting like this whole past two weeks. Like, oh, what do you mean? I told you to do I that mean, a long time ago. I well, George is the Tom Brady. Like two years. I did that for an afternoon. I did that <laughs> like two years. I did that so, for an afternoon. And I didn't even do it it's right tough. because I put it creamer is. in my coffee. So I did it. It's tough. It's it, it it is tough. But then you just think about the like the perseverance of of what you want to do with your life, and it's just like. Is it worth the, you know, whatever breakfast I just had? Or is it worth the yes. the candy bar and stuff oh, yeah. like that? So it's just, it's just interesting. And that's, like I said, podcasts are more self-help than entertainment for me these days, which might not say good things about myself, but... No, I'm the same way. I, there's a lot of stuff I listen to and I'm like, I'm going to jot that down for you my know, life or whatever. It's and it's so like therapy. And it's so interesting, too, because I grew up loving late night talk shows. Like, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. But what's in, what's cool that I learned listening to podcasts that are getting to be hour long, two hour long. I mean, in 2020, most of the interview podcasts go up to three hours is I noticed if I'm talking to somebody like, say, me and George are talking about a story I'm literally just waiting for him to stop talking so I can tell him something that I thought of during his story. So I'm not thinking about anything he actually said because all I'm thinking about is what I want to say. Trust in me, I know. But no, listen, listening to podcasts made me realize, okay, listen to what they say. Yeah. Don't try to 
interact with what you have in your arsenal, but actually try to tell them, hey, this, you know, okay, I see what you're saying with this. Why did that happen? Mm-hmm. So you get to ask another question instead of one-upping all your friends. Because when you yeah. think about your conversation oh, yeah. with your friends, everyone just one-ups the other person. That's If you really break down your conversation, it's literally mostly people trying to think about, oh, they said that. Well, let me or one-up. Or how do I relate to exactly. this? Exactly. How do I make myself more relevant? And that's why we can't hang out with Polly Lit because he has better stories than me. <laughs> See, George just did it right there. He was literally waiting to bring in a more famous person and name drop in our conversation. Oh, yeah. Brand dropper. Hey, George has no pause button. There's only play. This is the thing. Uh, this guy was working at our gym for two years, and I'm an intrepid investigative reporter and had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> He's got you ruffled a little bit, I think. Yeah, but I like him so much, it's okay. <laughs> what about you? What is your uh, podcast plug? Um, what have you been listening to? What do you like? Gosh, what have I been listening to lately? Um, I, I love Luminal. It's another podcast of two gals chatting true crime. But they also talk about like cryptids and, um, I don't know, other stuff like spooky stuff, supernatural stuff. Which I always take with a grain of salt because I'm kind of a skeptic, but... Have you guys listened to a podcast called Let's Not Meet? Oh my god, I'm obsessed. My uh, fiancé is obsessed with that one. It's so good. We have a rule in the car, whoever's driving gets to control the radio. And so that's what she listens to. And um, the guy's voice drives me crazy. It's not... The no best. offense, sir. No whoever, offense to yeah. him, sir. But, it's not but the your the actual idea behind it is fascinating. It's really good. Yes. Hmm. It will get you hooked for sure. Oh. Yeah, I need to listen to more non true crime podcasts, I think, because I'm just kind of in my own bubble. Yeah. Well, when me and George discuss cases, and, and again, I'm not, it's not my wheelhouse as much, but I usually have to digress with something self help or funny. Or yeah. reruns of The Office. Like, those are my go-tos to digress for the night. Speaking of The Office, have you ever listened to... Um, Office Ladies, the 2020 podcast of the year? No. Oh. Look at you was with it your the, play button. It really was. Yeah, oh, no, I, didn't know, was. I haven't listened to that. Um, the uh, Radio Rental? Mm-mm. That's my podcast I'm plugging. Rain Wilson from oh, okay. The Office narrates it. It is so good. Well, that's cool. I did not know that one. Yeah, it's I good. Know. I didn't know. Write it down. You're not writing. Andrew. Right <laughs> he has it on record. He yeah. has it on record. It's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's called Radio Rental. It's really good, too. Nice. It is interesting um, that how many podcasts, especially celebrities, have upped in 2020. I mean, for obvious reasons and for great reasons, we all get to benefit because it's free. You know, right. it's it's free to us for the most part. So it is it is beneficial. But it is interesting to see, like, and no one's just like, oh, you have to do a podcast now. You're not a big celebrity. It's just. That's what you can do. Mm-hmm. And I and I do feel like me and Jason Bateman are best friends now because I listen to his podcast. Right. So. Yeah. Well. I listened to an interview of both Jason Bateman and Will Arnett on Marin. Mm-hmm. Never heard of Yeah, Mark Marin. Yeah. Anytime he has a celebrity I'm interested in or want to know more about, I'll listen to the interview section. I kind of skip the rant. You know, oh, for part sure. Part of it, he rants. But yeah. 
Yeah. So after that, I'm like, I feel like I really know the guy, you know? It's fan- Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, it's so guy. interesting. And so we were we interviewed Polly yesterday, and all I could think about was parallels of his career as a childhood actor and Jason Bateman's. And it's nowhere near the same, but all I could think of was just like the fizzle part, where you fizzle out. Yeah. What do you want to do? Where do you go with that? What do you make of yourself? How do you go back into the game? So, it's got to be hard. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, we're about to talk about another Mississippi case, but in the meantime, bye. 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 See ya.